What's the future of the Celebration Bowl? HBCUs have been active and efficient in the transfer portal, and Alabama A&M finally finds their guy. Oh, yeah. It's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And me, I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day you will not regret it and we're going to kick it off talking about the future of the celebration bowl there has been no news no shakeup. however there was some news that we broke on yesterday's podcast that i think is going to really shake up the future of the celebration bowl and at least make people have to say all right let's look and that news is the fact that howard is leaving the miac yet another team is leaving the miac is continuing to lose members left and right well that is going to play an impact on thing if on things. If you did not get to catch yesterday's episode where we discussed that, then make sure that you go back and take a look at it. If you were able to catch it, then I would really appreciate it, or I'm sure you would really appreciate it if I didn't go over the whole point again. We're going to talk about the future, but trust me, this is not information that you're going to want to miss. This is information that is going to be prevalent and really important for this. So I will give kind of the, the cliff notes, kind of the, the tea leaves as far as Howard is leaving. That is going to leave them with five teams in a conference for football. Because we're specifically talking about football. We talked about Howard's other programs yesterday, but with the Celebration Bowl, this is an HBCU football exclusive event. So we're only going to be talking about football. That leaves them with five members and the exodus from the from the MEAC has been happening for a while. If this is going to be something that is ongoing, the MEAC will die. It's that simple. The, the departure of Howard has to leave you questioning the livelihood of the conference. And I don't say this in a sense of I want them to leave. Look, I'm a Texas Southern guy. You know this. But I don't mean I, I want the MEAC to fall down. It doesn't mean that I'm just a swag guy. I want the MEAC to stand. I want more HBCUs to go to the MEAC. I want D2 teams to rise up and come to the, to the FCS ranks. That's what I want. We'll see if they can do it, but that's what I would like to happen. But still, facts are facts. And the facts is that North Carolina A&T, Florida A&M, Bethune-Cookman, Hampton, now um, Howard, all have left the MEAC recently. They have a new commissioner, so you still have some members in there, and you have a new commissioner who – really has been dealt a terrible hand because she just got the job. It's not like she's been there for a long time. She just got the job and everybody's leaving. Everybody was gone before she got there. Now Howard's gone and you're running into a situation where you're having to deal with a, a, a really tough one, a really tough situation that you didn't create, but you're going to be tasked with having to fix. And that, that's, that is what it is. And if you're going to have some of the teams that are there, all of the teams, because it's not enough to only have some, you're probably going to need all. If you're going to have all of the teams there, 
You're going to hope that they stay loyal. You're going to ask that they stay patient. patient. Now, if a year goes by and you start losing members, now it's a conversation. All right. Maybe this is just a dying conference. And I want to talk about something that is not happened. It is a huge if, but we're going to operate under the premise that it is true going forward. And that's the fact that the MEAC could disband. And if the MEAC bans, because I'm not quite sure they're here by 2025. At the pace that they're going, it's up to the commissioner to stop it. But at the pace that is going, it's going to be kind of hard. So let's operate under the understanding that the MIAC is disbanded. What happens Celebration Bowl? Because it's between the MIAC champ and the SWAC champ. And if the MIAC dissolves, well, you're missing one half of that right there. You know, it's like having a sentence. You want to have a subject and a predicate. If you ain't got no predicate, you won't have a sentence. If you don't have a subject, you don't have a sentence. That's a, uh, a fraction, I think. That's not a fraction. Fragment. Oh, my God. Listen. <laughs> the F word is messing me up. I know what a fraction is. Um, but you have one half of the sentence, right? So I'm tying it all in with fractions and fragments and all of that stuff. Leave me alone, okay? Sometimes I misspeak. I know what it is. But um, anywho, you're going to be having part of that missing. So what happens from there? There's a couple of things that you can do. Number one, and this is my personal favorite, and it's the SWAC champion goes to the FCS playoffs. That's my personal favorite. And I understand that there's things like money involved and traveling and all the expenses. Well, thankfully, I'm just a podcaster who doesn't really have to worry about logistics and everything. And scheduling is also a problem, too. But I'm just a podcaster. So I can live in this fantasy world where I can talk about things I'd like to happen. I've heard, you know, look, Jackson State fans are vocal. I love it, too. They're vocal. And they're going to let you know that their confidence exists. And in that confidence that's being expressed is going to elicit a certain reaction from people who are not a part of that um, that fan base. That's to be understood and expected. They say, man, I can go compete with these top teams in the FCS. Well, I say, go ahead, do it then. Let's see you do it then. It's not, And it's not even a sense of, I don't believe you. It's a sense of, hey, man, I'm with it. Let these SWAC teams go in there and start competing. Let some of these SWAC teams start making it to the playoffs. Let's, I'm saying SWAC because in this future the MIAC is dissolved but HBCUs period really let them start getting there and making it through Tennessee State North Carolina the non-HBCU conference teams they don't have to worry about this because they actually have a a conference that allows them to go to the playoffs so really I'm gonna stick with the SWAC and not try to group everybody in let these SWAC team go let them go let them compete let's see what they're about and I, I think that it's just something that could be good and it could gain respect and whatnot. Now, I understand that you would have to fix scheduling because, you know, that the conference game is after the start of the playoffs. So that might not happen. The other possibility is just in the season after the conference championship. And that is what it is. My personal favorite, once again, is to play in the playoffs just because I would love to see the competition. And I think that playing in the playoffs for years would lead to more talent coming in and it would kind of even the playing field a little bit more as far as when you first jump into a couple of years later. Now, some more things. And this is one that I found interesting. And it was the idea that, well, hold on, bring it back. If you end the game after or in the season after the conference championship bowl, conference championship game, that means no celebration bowl. So that that's kind of a, I like the celebration bowl. I like what it represents. So, if you're not going to go to the playoffs and I would like to see a celebration bowl continue and here is a way that you can continue to have it. And that was have the best non FCS playoff team. That's an HBCU coming to the celebration bowl. And I like it. 
because it still allows all of the teams that were in the MIAC, all the teams that left the MIAC and Tennessee State to be a part of this. So now you can have North Carolina A&T come back to a place where they were really dominant for years. You can have um, Eddie George and the Tennessee State Tigers come in and they can be a part of that. You're always going to have the SWAC champion no matter what. But whoever has the best record of all the HBCUs who didn't make the FCS playoffs comes in and now they get to compete. And that's interesting to me. But here's one wonky thing. And I think this will be cleared up and understood. But right now it hasn't. So we're still living in make-believe time. And we can still do this. Now, what happens if that best team that didn't make the playoffs, that's an HBCU, happens to be in the SWAC? Do they get to play again? If they already played? Like, for example, let's say that FAMU didn't get the, the playoff nod this year. And under this format, it's the best non-FCS playoff team. That'll probably be FAMU. Do we get to see Jackson State versus FAMU too? During the season, what if that team that is the second best team and and meets the criteria was the team that they just played for the SWAC championship? Do we get to see the SWAC championship in back to back? I would I w- love to know. You know that would be clarified, but I think good conversation to have because who knows what you're going to want to do with the celebration bowl if the MEAC just dissolves? But it could be really interesting. And one thing that kills this whole conversation is if the SWAC moves up to the FBS ranks as a conference, as they've been talking about. Now, we'll see how how that'll go down. It's just been whispers, it's been talks of it, the hopes of it. I don't know how much of a likelihood it is. I haven't heard it be brought up as something that there's a plan to get done. It's just something you hope gets done. But if that happens, the Celebration Bowl is done, MIAC or no MIAC. It doesn't even matter. Because now you're an FBS team. And I don't, you're not going to be playing the Celebration Bowl with the FCS teams. It's just not going to happen. So... Those are things that can either continue the Celebration Bowl or discontinue the Celebration Bowl. But either way, it is an interesting conversation because the MEAC is kind of on its last leg. We do not hope that it happens, but I think it is important to make sure that we discuss what could happen to the bowl if the dissolve, if the uh, the MEAC does happen to dissolve. One thing you don't have to worry about going anywhere is this podcast. We're going to continue detailing and covering the best HBCU athletics out there. You can guarantee that the Mouth of the South is going to be here for a while. I'm here to stay, and we're going to talk about it, including some of the players that have been going from or have been going to the HBCUs through the transfer portal. The NCAA says that the HBCUs have been doing a pretty good job with these guys. We'll talk about that and more after I tell you about BetOnline because BetOnline.net is the best place for all of your sports wagering. The NBA playoffs is in full swing. The MLB season is kicking off or t- or pitching off. I don't know. It's starting, okay? And all that matters is that if you're going to put some money down and that's what you want to do, make sure that you're doing it with eight, with uh, betonline.net. I don't care if you're betting on HBCU athletics or not. You might want to bet on the Memphis Grizzlies. You might want to bet on the New Orleans Pelicans because they – tough one they tried to fight back but they caught a tough one due to cp3 you might want to bet on them to get a game maybe they can steal one in phoenix or maybe when they go back to new orleans and the skc they can get one there we'll see but if you want to put some money down once again make sure you're going to betonline.net because they are the fastest and easiest what a wage on all of your favorite sports get down with that versatility man bet online where the game starts
All right, let's keep it rolling on today's episode of Locked On HBCU. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. You know I always appreciate that. And make sure that you're checking out the Locked On NFL Mock Draft on Odyssey on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast page. And then also, starting April 28th, make sure you're checking out the Locked On NFL Draft coverage is live rounds one through seven. Dallas, Texas, they'll be stationed out there. And you don't have to worry about on Saturday when the, when the days start getting long. Locked On will be right there with you. So make sure you're checking that out. It'll make your experience go faster. Now, today's word of the day is illicit. It means to call forth or draw out. Now, in the last segment, however, going forward, we're going to be talking about HBCUs have not only been active in the transfer portal, they've also been very efficient. Now, this isn't something that's new. You go through and you look at the HBCU football rosters for years and years, you'll always see so-and-so or Keith Johnson from Utah. It, it, that's common to see a lot of transfer guys go to HBCUs. That's just regular. It's not something that's new with the attention. It's something that I've seen through my whole career at Texas Southern. It's not something that's shocking to me, and it's not going to stop either. However, this year particularly, they've been very active and as efficient as you can be before games are played they've also been efficient. See, there's been five HBCUs in the top 10 for most transfer portals coming to the transfer portal players coming to their team. Alabama A&M is by far at the top with, with 28 and going up. They're, they're, they're above everybody by a large margin. Now, the SWAC is well above everybody as well as a conference. It's not even comparable how many transfer portal players have gone into the SWAC as compared to everybody else. It's it's they're almost overlapping everybody. That's how much it is. And when I say overlap, I mean nearly doubled the closest person. So it's where this is rare once again. It's been happening. However, I want to call a greater attention to it because, yes, it's been happening, but NCAA.org or .com put out their top 16 FCS transfers, and HBCUs are well represented here. I want to get through all of them because this is a marker of understand. They have not played a singular game, so we don't know how effective it will be. But this is how effective that it's believed that it will be because we're going into the future. We're projecting. It's like drafts. No one knows how good the draft is. I, I sit there and I pick Aiden Hutchinson as my first round pick. You're feeling like, oh, that's an A+. plus. Now, what happens if Aiden Hutchinson comes out and he's a bum? He's a bust. What if that happens? So the draft is... You know, it's like, okay, this person is going to be great on this day, but you really don't know. You're projecting. So this is all a projection just the same. And let's go forward discussing it. And let's start off with the first person that they say is a really good transfer, and that's Jaron Williams. He went from South Florida to Alabama A&M. Quarterback, and they're trying to fill a, a quill glass's shoes. It's that simple. It's not going to be easy to do, but they're trying to do it. Now, if they get it done, it will largely be because they found a quarterback that could go with the system of Coach Taylor and could really build something. They think that could be Jaron Williams. Remember, this isn't an experienced quarterback room in Alabama A&M. Jaron Williams is the guy with the most experience as he started a full year for Miami in Florida, uh, not Ohio. I remember when I found out that Miami, Miami of Ohio was a, a school. It blew my mind. I was young. I was playing NCAA, but you know what I'm saying? It, it did shock me, but that's why I always try to make sure I say Florida so people don't think that I'm talking about Ohio. Um, but he was a quarterback for Miami. He was the leading passer on the, on the uh, year. 
He actually set a record for most touchdowns in a game for Miami and also tied a record for most touchdowns in a game in the ACC. So he has found success at these power fives. He's transferring from South Florida, and now he'll be with Alabama A&M. The quarterback theme does not stop. They then go to Kajaya Holloway, who, just like Williams, will be in a quarterback battle. The job is not being given to him, though I feel like it is his to lose. I was a little bit surprised at the fact that he came in third in the spring game, but we'll see. That could be could mean absolutely nothing. It could just mean that he was a guy who was not there last year. It really could mean that. Um, but yes, so let's keep going because I want to talk about Halloween. And also, actually, before I move on, with Halloween, I thought it was interesting that they put him on the list because he didn't play at UCLA at all. So for him to be on his list, it tells me that his high school tape was impressive enough to where people are sitting there and saying, oh, yeah, we, we got to get this guy. We got to make sure that we keep track of what he's going to be doing because that was somebody we thought was going to be a key contributor at UCLA. He's not there anymore. Is at Grambling. Not the quarterbacks. We're done with them. And we're going with Kimani um, King, who is going to be a safety going from Iowa State to FAMU. And this is a big pickup, not just because of who he is. Who he is is good and everything. However, when you look at the position that Florida A&M is at, you just lost Marquise Bell, who, in my opinion, is the best player in HBCU football this year. Or, excuse me, he's the best draft-eligible HBCU player in football this year. In my opinion, Isaiah Land was the top dog. I mean, he won Defensive Player of the Year in the FCS. I think he earned that crown. So I'm going to give him that. However, Marquise Bell, his teammate, is no slouch. They're losing him, and they're losing Antoine Collier. So it's like, all right, what are we going to do at the, at the safety position now? Because something's got to move. Something's got to shake. We have to replace this guy. And to get King at this position for this team is big because now you're getting a guy with a good amount of experience to come onto the team. He came from Iowa State, so he's played in the Big Ten, or excuse me, the Big 12 that has 10 teams. He has been a part of that unit, so he understands big-time football. That's not new to him. And big-time players or players who understand big-time situations are the type of players that I want on my team. Let's keep going. Now we're getting into Jackson State. And you have Antonio Doyle, Texas A&M transfer, and he is the highest-rated FCS transfer in the portal. Enough said. I have absolutely nothing more to say. He's a defensive lineman. There you go. He got his position now. That's all you need to know. The highest-rated FCS portal recruit. And he went to Jackson State. So that's that simple. Now, let's keep going forward. And you have Simi Mawala. And he is an offensive lineman who came from Utah. And he was a starter at Utah. He's a grad transfer guy now. And he's going to Jackson State as well. We've talked about how you have to help Shador Sanders. And helping Shador Sanders isn't just saying, all right, let's get a little bit more accurate. Let's be able to read the field better. It's also about helping him in his supporting cast. Because, yes, you want to help him get his skill set better. But if his supporting cast isn't worth nothing, it's going to be. And we saw how a struggling offensive line has him kind of being nervous. And it really impacted his game. And in the spring in a SEC championship or the SWAC championship, excuse me, and then also in a celebration bowl. I saw it. It was easily seen that, hey, this guy was uncomfortable. That doesn't mean that he, but you could tell he was uncomfortable with a lot of pressure. And that was already there a year ago, or I guess a couple months ago at the, when the season starts, it'll be about a year ago. You got to make sure that you fix that. That's not just on him. You got to make sure that you get you some offensive linemen. And with Simi, 
see me, excuse me, you're going to make sure that you got them. And I, I completely approve of this decision. I think it was a really good move to add the offensive line help, add the defensive line help, especially because James Houston is going. And then you keep going to King and FAMU. He's going to be replacing a, a top flight player, a guy who could be the first HBCU player off the board. And then you have Grambling in, a, in Alabama A&M getting their potential quarterbacks of the future, at least for this year. Great moves, and the NCAA agrees as well. And speaking of Alabama A&M, now this guy is for the future, and that is their new basketball coach. They finally have their guy in a move that, in my opinion, should have been made. It should have been made. Now, it might not have been this guy if this decision happened a while ago, but I think that this is, and I'll tell you about that and more as we continue with Locked on HBCU. All right, so wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, Alabama A&M has finally, and I mean this with the power of the rock in every new city that he goes to, finally ended the Howard era. It was a move that I think should have been prolonged for way too long. However, maybe the timing is perfect because now you get to get a guy who has an interesting background. He's well-traveled and he has a, a, a specialty and I like guys who have specialties because I know that or at least trust that they can get at least one thing right when they come in and is the head coach of the team. And let's let's talk about it because Otis Hughley is the is the new head coach of Alabama A&M. But I want to talk about the Brian uh, Howard era because I or excuse me, the Dylan Howard era. I really don't mean to be disrespectful when I say finally, this actually has absolutely nothing to do, very little to do with him. It more so has to do with the fact that I despise interim titles for too long. I hate them. I think the interim titles are good if you are appointed that in the middle of the year. I'm cool with that. Oh, man, well, this coach got fired halfway through the year. Let's go ahead and bring this guy in. All right, cool. He's our interim head coach. I don't particularly like interim head coaching that goes into the following season. If I'm starting a season off as an interim coach, what are we really doing? I repeat, interim is cool if we're talking about in the middle of the year. But if I'm starting the season off as an interim head coach, what are we doing? That's basically saying I have no faith in you. Get me a solidified head coach to start my season, please. I don't want an interim head coach. I want a guy that I feel like you trust in. And this is me speaking as a player now. If you don't trust in this guy to make him the full-time coach, why should I trust this guy to take us to the right places? Now that he does take it to the right places, but I'm not going to be confident until he does it because you haven't shown me that you're confident in it. Now, let's talk about this interim thing because let's 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 say I'm going to be okay with having an interim title at the beginning of the year. I only think it should last a year. You get a year to say this is a year audition. Now I'm putting my my GM hat on. I'm putting my decision maker hat on. You're getting a year to make your audition. How do you do? You do good? All right. Come on. We're going to bring you on full time. You you don't do good? Sorry. Maybe you can be go back to your original role as an assistant or whatever you were if the new head coach wants to keep you there. This man was an interim coach for four years. Four years. That's too long. That's too long. To me, that screams you're stringing along this guy until the guy that you want becomes available. Until you see somebody who is like, I can make that my head coach. 
you're going to continue stringing me on four years, four years. You do not have a four year audition to be a head coach, interim coach, maybe as an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, maybe as a uh, an associate head coach, whatever. And this goes for all sports. This isn't just basketball. You don't need four years. After year one, it's like, okay, what do you see? Two or three, I'm starting to get antsy. Four years, it's like, all right, let's put up a shut-up time. At this point, you got to make a decision, a and I'm not about to sit here the interim head coach. Give me some, some, some confidence. Give me some stability, some security. What's going on? They ain't give them any of that. They said, all right, well, we can't work on, we can't work on it because contractual reasons. Man, you just didn't want the guy, and you finally found somebody who you felt like could be the head of your organization for years to come. You didn't believe that Howard could be the guy, and I don't blame him. Let's be very clear. I'm not saying this in a sense of shame on Alabama A&M. I disagree with how long that it took, but I don't disagree with the end result. Let's read the records over the three years that he coached. It was a fourth year, but that was COVID, so we're going to take it out. That was a six and nine season. Five and 27, eight and 22, 12 and 18. I mean, yeah, it's, it's moving up a little bit, but 12 and 18 after four years, no, sorry. The success is not there. The success is not there for me to give you my confidence. I just wish that after five and 27, they would have said, all right, well, this interim ain't going to work out. I'm not giving you more years. Obviously, I'm passionate about the fact that I don't like interim titles. I don't even like interim belts in the UFC. I'm be honest with you. It's just not, it's not my thing. I'm not a guy for interim titles. Unless that happens in the middle of the season, I'm not going with the interim title. To me, that says you're not going to be our coach. You're the interim coach for, more, for multiple years going into a season. They don't really believe in you, and you're doing everything you can to change their mind. And a total of 25 wins in three years is not going to change anybody's mind. That's how you get led to Otis Hugo. Now, ain't no, we ain't here to see you, Otis. No, we're here to see you. Because I'm ready for a change. If I'm a Bulldog, I'm here for a change. You ready for a change, Bulldogs? I'm assuming that you are. I'm going to talk to the camera and, 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 and see, let make, make sure that y'all on the same page as I am. I'm ready for some change. I'm ready to win. I know I would be if I was in your shoes. So this brings us to Hughley, who has a really interesting path. And I want to talk about the Alabama ties, some international ties. He was in a league for a little bit. We're not really going to talk about that as far as a coach. He was in the league working with NBA teams. We're not going to talk about that because Believe it or not, that's not the most interesting part of his story. It just happened. And then we're going to talk about his specialty. We're going to talk, touch on all of that before we get out of here. And first, he has Alabama ties as he was the LaFleur head coach. And he was there for seven years from 04 to 2010. He was a coach, was very successful, won a lot of games, made a couple of Final Four appearances, even won a championship and had a really star athlete that was on his team for a couple of years. Y'all know I'm not going to give it up that easy. You know I got to make you wait. You know I got to tease you a little bit for it. But we're going to talk about that. Or we just talked about that as far as his success in Alabama. Then you go into his time at Auburn for the women's basketball team. Now you see more women's basketball focus for him. In that time frame, he was an assistant. And the head coach was there for a while. This was the best record that she ever had in her whole tenure. The one year that he was an assistant. All right, let's come on now. We got the Midas touch right now. Could you ask success? In high school, now you have success on the collegiate ranks. Now let's look at the fact that he's the Nigerian women's basketball team's head coach, the national team. I'm talking about the team that plays in the Olympics and everything. He's that head coach. He he's led them to being the number one team in the continent, the best team in Africa. I'm talking about number fourteen worldwide. This team is really good, and he's led them to the success. So that success that I was clamoring and asking for out of Howard 
And I apologize, Howard. I don't want to go that hard on you. I, I promise you, B. I promise you, uh, or excuse me, Dylan, I almost called you B. I don't want to call you Brian Howard so bad, but I promise you that I'm not trying to bash you. But what I am doing is saying that I don't think they wanted you. That success that or the lack of success that you had didn't change their mind. And now you have a head coach who not here, at least, but in other places that he's been has led to success in his special team. That that star player that I told you he had in, in high school was DeMarcus Cousins. He was key in his development as a big man. He's worked in a camp that is highly respected. And that camp is directly dedicated to big men. That's what it is. It's a big man. You have a specialty and you work with DeMarcus Cousins on it. Yeah. Come on. You're very successful nationally or internationally. You're very successful as far as the high school and collegiate ranks. You seem to have a tad bit of a Midas touch. I like that as far as what I'm getting in my coach. You've been successful even when you aren't the head coach. Something is about you that just breeds success. And then you also have a specialty in big men. I'll be very interested to watch how the big men, the front court of Alabama A&M, continues to develop over the next couple of years as far as the talent that they're bringing in. And when the talent gets brought in, well, what happens? How are their skills improving? I wouldn't be shocked because the, the SWAC defensive player of the year has left. He's gone. I wouldn't be shocked if in the next couple of years an Alabama A&M player fills that vacancy because that's how much confidence that the resume of Otis Hughley has built up in me. I hope I built that same confidence in you making us your first day every and for your second listen of the day, make sure that you're checking out Locked On NFL Draft. Former NFL and AFL cornerback Eric Crocker joined with Ryan Tracy to give all of their opinions and breakdowns on this year's NFL Draft. It's three days of coverage, a whole lot of months leading up into it, and these are the experts that you need to listen to. Now, tomorrow's episode, we're going to be detailing the FAMU quarterback situation from the spring game because it's still open. And for y'all, y'all know where to catch me if you want to talk to me. At South Exclusives on Twitter. Man, I can't point to this thing to save my life on Twitter. At South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace.